Welcome to episode 15 of the TWIS podcast. This week, it's a special episode. Warwick and I, we sat down with two legends of the Australian music scene. We've got Gil Matthews, who amongst other things was a longtime collaborator, producer and drummer with Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs. And Gavin Carroll, who is a close personal friend, collaborator and bass player with Lobby Lloyd. We're going to have a good chat with these guys. We hope that you enjoy this episode. We're just getting straight to the discussion with Gil and Gavin this week and we hope you enjoy. The incredible Gil Matthews and Gavin Carroll in the studio. Let's Big round of applause. Thanks for coming guys. Thank you so much for coming. Two of the biggest names in the history of music. <laughs> How you going, guys? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, 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 good. Very good. That's good. Is that all right, mate? Yeah. You got me there, Paul? Uh, What's Tony. 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 Yeah. How's he? Hey, Beth. Hey, good. Over. We're there, Beth. All right. <laughs> How's the year been for you guys with COVID? Has that affected you a bit this year? Well, it, I mean, I think it's affected all musicians who yeah. Yeah. were used to doing gigs and then can't do any gigs. Yeah, for nearly two years. And a lot of them... A lot of them rely on money from yeah. doing gigs for their income as well. Yep. So, yeah, it affected people. And, yeah, and you don't, badly. do you? What? You don't, do you? Uh, well, I was lucky because I, I have a CD label and when everyone's locked up, they want to buy CDs. They so, do. So, so yeah, you know, stay at home all my yeah. sales went up whoosh, so, yeah. you know. Oh, very it didn't nice. me that much. But being locked up in your house and not being able to play, and musicians usually have it, that sort of thing in their blood. So don't mean, yeah. play in front of an audience. Yep. Um, yeah, it was pretty tough, I reckon. You know, not, but even not jamming, good at all. I mean, you weren't even able to jam or anything. So No. What, um, did, what did you do at home, Gav? Bill, <laughs> <laughs> like myself. Look, 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 do you, you really want to know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no, I was recovering from an illness. You were, actually. For yep. a long time. Yeah. Yep. How are you now? I'm fine, I think. Um, Chris, but it's Tony. It's Tony, Tony yeah. Gavin. Oh, Tony Warakapa. And that's Beth, your wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, no, no, I'm fine. Which, no, I, which part of the brain did they remove, Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> um, the front frontal, right frontal lobe, or something. Yep. Yeah, yep. They did a Francis Farmer on me, I think. <laughs> really? Yeah. The only thing is, they didn't get soldiers in to root me while I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you got to pay extra for that. Okay. You, you probably don't have private then. <laughs> they wanted to get soldiers, but they didn't want to come in. <laughs> is that why you were there every day? Yeah. Well, ah, no. I've heard about you guys rooming yeah. up. No. Yeah. Well, at least you're here now, mate. You made it, so that's good. Yep. That's it. Thanks, Warwick. I made it. You made it. So we're yep. battling on. It's going to be a big tw- 2022 for all of us. We hope. Yep. Yep. Hopefully no more lockdowns. No, I hope not. So, Gil, I want to start with you, mate. At what age did you first start playing the drums? Uh, You mean professionally on stage? Uh, Just no, just as as a child when you first picked up. I started learning to read drum music and play drums when I was five. That's unbelievable. Really? Yeah. So I could actually read drum music before I could actually read bloody books or anything. So it's quite weird. So yeah, five, and I professionally went on stage. Uh, at eight, it was the start of it. Yeah, right. What was yeah. your, what was your first professional opportunity? Um, f- well, from what I remember, because when you're an eight year old, you don't remember a lot of things. But uh, it probably would have been one of the Melbourne Town Hall concerts, you know. Because okay. I remember I used to get very sort of, you know, as an eight year old, get pretty nervous because you're going out on stage in front of, you know, five thousand people. So yeah, yeah uh, Melbourne Town Hall probably because I used to have jazz concerts called Downbeat. Um, and they, they always brought overseas artists 
into Australia to sort of perform at those big concerts. Yep. Um, remember, they had, remember they had Bandstand? That was Australian TV, wasn't it? That was Australian show, wasn't it? Bandstand. I bandstand. I bandstand. I bandstand, yeah, yeah, I did Bandstand. I did Bandstand. Yeah, I thought you were, that was before getting yeah. that, wasn't it? I did Bandstand with us when I was 14. Right, and I did really? Six O'Clock Rock too. Really? When I was 14, yeah. And I toured with Johnny O'Keefe and, and his band, which was uh, a real eye-opener for a 14-year-old. That's great. Good, good grounding. Jesus Christ. You, you, were, you were playing on, yeah. with Never him? Never been the same since. Yeah. <laughs> I was ha- playing uh, drums and I did uh, last, last date rock, on rock 6 rock O'Clock Rock on vibraphones. So I played vibraphones for a while as well. Jeez. At 14. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, well, you know, vibraphone gets the girls, mate. No, the drummers get the girls back in those days. Mate, how did uh, an eight-year-old get those kinds of opportunities? Um, uh, well, pr- probably probably because there wasn't that many kids around who were eight and nine years old that could play, you know, instruments like that. So, yeah. you know, I, I guess I was just... I mean, I was a child prodigy. That's what they called me. I don't know. Yep. It sounds pretty egotistical. But were, your po- were your parents... Uh, parents were never in, they didn't play any instruments it's just one of those weird weird things I started sort of bashing pots and pans when I was three and then by the time I was five I had my own little drum kit taking me to uh, drum lessons yep. um, I don't know where it came from I was just born with it I don't yep. know well, I guess if you're playing professionally at eight I think child prodigy is probably an apt description uh, well, I guess there just wasn't too many. I mean, I don't know of any other kids, eight years old, nine years old, that would be doing concerts like, you know, sell out Melbourne Town Hall concerts with overseas artists and stuff like that. You know, so yeah, I mean, look, I don't remember a lot of it. When, yeah. when you're eight years old, you don't remember. I do remember one weird thing though, because the Melbourne Town Hall's got a wooden floor, yep. and people now, you know, they they cheer and they clap their hands. They didn't do that back then. They stamped their feet. Yep. So there was this whole thing of if they wanted you to do more, they'd be stamping their feet yeah. on the floor because it's it wouldn't getting floor. a rumble. It's just this rumbling shit yeah. going on, and I, I only really uh, when I was mastering a thing recently by Judy Jarks from the fifties. You know, she's a she's a jazz singer from the fifties. Uh, she had some live stuff from Melbourne Town Hall, and I re- I heard all this rumbling in the floor, and it all came back to me. Oh shit, that's what they used to do. Yeah. They used to, know. you know, Melbourne Town Hall. They used to, you know, like. Yes, you know, there'd That's be right. five thousand people doing that and not not cheering or whistling, but they'd yeah. they'd do the feed thing and like we want more, we want like more. a festival hall. Bang. Yeah, mm. yeah, like a festival too. hall. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Mate, how did how did you end up in America as a child playing drums alongside Buddy Rich? Well, uh, what what happened was that when um, the Olympic Games were on in Melbourne, um, there was no accommodation. So it's nineteen fifty six. Yeah. Yep. That's right. There was no accommodation for any of the overseas journalists, so they farmed them out to houses. And we just happened to get this guy who who owned 13 television stations in America. Uh-huh. And he came to a few of my concerts. So, you know, by the time I was uh, 11, a, a tour had been arranged uh, for me across America because I'd already played with Buddy Rich when I was uh, nine years old at Melbourne Town Hall. Um, and... By the time I was 11, they'd arranged this tour with uh, Buddy Rich and Gene Cripper across America, which was a six-month tour, and I played in front of a lot of schools and you know, all that sort of stuff along the way as well. And it finished up on the uh, Walt Disney lot where I appeared on the Mickey Mouse Club. So, that's oh. unbelievable. So that's I'm Australia's only honorary mouse club. That's where Britney Spears started there. Yeah, Yeah, that's a, that's a later Mickey Mouse Club, <laughs> yeah. I think, though. Yeah, this is 1959 or something, you know, 58. Yeah. 
and the, the black Tim- and white Mickey yeah, Mouse, right. the original and one. Justin Timberlake, Cabby too. O'Brien, yep. Yep. Uh, good show. Um, and uh, Annette Funicello. Big audience. Uh, I went to school with Annette Funicello. <laughs> really? Well, they had a caravan in the in the back lot of Disney Studios where the where the Mouseketeers all did their schooling. So I spent some time actually in the caravan. How's that for a young boy? Not bad, eh? You know. So good grinding. Your, your parents travelled with you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for six months. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a massive um, thing for a family to do. It's a big commitment, but um, I think my father took it on as a bit of a holiday, and we we actually drove right across America from San Francisco to, right up to New York, down to Florida, and back to LA. So like an adventure with months. the family too. Yeah. It was adventure, good, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's funny right. when when you're eleven, you don't you don't remember lots of stuff. But I remember like I went on the the Disney lot next door. They were filming Zorro. With Guy Williams, oh. who later on became uh, Professor Robinson uh-huh. in Lost in Space. Ah, right. So I actually went on the set, met Guy Williams, played with his sword, and that's not a nasty, <laughs> that's not a dirty thing. Warwick, Hold on. By the way. Uh, and I remember that. I don't. Re- I don't really remember the Musketeers. I just love Lost in awesome. Space. That was great. Yeah, that was awesome. It's like every every kid at school was like, "Wow, you went on the set of Zorro." You know, it was yep. fantastic. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I was told that uh, Buddy Rich gave you a set of hi hats. Uh, yes, he did. In, in America, he gave me a set of hi hats, which I still have and I still use. Actually. Yeah, right. Yeah, like really original Zildjians uh, when they were handmade and. Uh, uh, they've, you know, they've done the test of time, basically. I mean, basically, he yeah. he's one of the most iconic and revered drummers of all time, isn't he? Well, him and Gene Krupa, yeah, the two of them, yeah. But Buddy was known as the uh, the ultimate drummer, but uh, a complete asshole, I'd have to say. You know, oh, very difficult guy. I mean, I, I I went to a drum clinic in New York, where all the great drummers were there: Louis Belson. Uh, Philly Joe Jones, you know all these guys, and and Buddy was there because of uh, his drum company, which was um, Slingerland at the time, and he rolled up at late, and all these guys there, and he did this perfect double stroke roll, um, up a table leg, across the table, down the table leg, up the up the wall, and said, "Beat that, you assholes!" and walked out. You know, <laughs> it was just incredible his attitude. Oh, right. He, I mean, he knew he was the best, himself, and he eh? was the best. You know, sorry, he fancied himself, but did he? <coughs> yeah. If he to get to himself, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say the concert was sold out. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't laugh either. No. No, I'm not laughing. No. I actually played drums at 15. I love drums too. Did you play 15 drums? I started, 15. That's how I started. I shot myself. But I'm yeah. glad my drum it's not here because you showed me up badly. Yeah. So that works out well. I might have. Yeah, I might. But great instrument, eh? Uh, great. Yeah, great. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was just born with it. I, I don't know, you know. Yeah, so I guess the honorary Mouseketeer is because you end up playing on the, the, the Disney lot. You know, it's pretty funny. There's actually only two drummers in the world who are honorary Mouseketeers. One is Steve Gadd and the other one's me. Hey. Yes. Yeah. And Steve Gadd's a very renowned drummer. He plays on Steely Dan albums and great drummer. You know, fantastic drummer. But we're the only two that are actually honorary Mouseketeers. Yeah, right. You know, as drummers. Because the other drummer on the show was Cubby O'Brien whose father was Haskell O'Brien, who was a very well-known jazz player in the 40s in America. Uh, so I actually stayed at Cubby's place. Uh, and his father was a, a drum teacher as well. So he, 
had a bit of an advantage when your father's a drum teacher. It helps, yeah. yeah. It helps. But, he, you know, we, we did the drum battle on the Mickey Mouse Club and, yeah, you know, it was right. great. What sort of uh, music do you like? Do I like? What sort of genre, uh, genre I'd have to is say your guy? Well, I'd have to say Steely Dan stuff yeah. because it's just so complicated. and in, The playing is just incredible. He was great, wasn't he? Yeah, so, yeah. it's great stuff. Yeah. And Pink Floyd, I guess, a yep. bit, you know, love Pink Floyd. Yeah, I like them. They're great, they're great aren't they? Yeah, fantastic stuff. Your early days as you become a professional adult as a drummer. So I don't know, I don't know if I've ever become a professional adult, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So what's your point, Tony? <laughs> yeah, what's the point? I didn't know I had to have one. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll talk through some of the incredible acts that you've played with over the years, but sort of what was the what was the the real turning point for you becoming a, as you become an adult, and it became. Your livelihood, like a job, like a job. God, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 it, I suppose it's like Warwick loved playing football. It was in his blood, and that's what he did. It was the same with me. I just loved music. I mean, I, I just drank, lived, and breathed music. Yeah, if you haven't got, you haven't got a passion you, for anything, you won't yeah, make it. You, you won't make no it. Passion, yeah. Like if you have to, if, and if you're working sixteen hours a day, man, you don't care because you yeah. just love yeah. all of it. You know. So I can remember when, I, but just before I joined the Aztecs, I was working in a studio. I was playing on ads. I was writing jingles, um, I was producing and engineering bands, and I was playing at night in a band. So, I mean, that's, 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 that's like fun, a 16-hour yeah. day, yep. you know, of just music, you know, uh, and I just loved every minute of it. Yeah, if you're not passionate incredible. with anything, you won't make it to the top, but really, we It's the passion. You know, yeah, you ever like doing it. You just have it, you know. So, you joined the Aztecs in the 1970s. I joined the Aztecs in March 1971, yeah. Yeah. And that was a, a transformative period for the band, where they really. Be, be uh, it was it was a it was a situation. The best way to explain it was I was at the time I was playing with a blind DJ called Grantley D, who yep. a lot of your listeners might remember. In America, <laughs> no Australia. He yep. had a big yep. hit called "Let the Little, Let the Little Girl Dance," uh. and he was a he was a blind DJ that w that was on three AK, uh, and this was an era. Um, End of the end of the sixties, where all the bands were dressing really neatly, you know, they they all had their hair done properly. Uh, they'd play a gig, and you would have to back a floor show artist. So the band I was in, which was Grantley D Band at the time, uh, we would be backing at, at, at venues like Winston Charles, etc. Uh, artists like um, Denise Drysdale and Ernie Sigley. Uh, Buddy England, uh, Merv Ben, all sorts of people. So it was it was a it was a time when, you know, the manager of the venue would tell you how loud you have to play, what you had to wear. The record companies would tell you, oh well, that we like that single you recorded, so we're going to make that the single on the album. I mean, you were you were almost controlled completely by yeah. the whole events and the media that was going on. And then I joined the Aztecs. And along mm. came drinking on stage. Is it a good experience? Great experience. Volume. And if someone said to Billy, "Oh, you're too turn loud," to, you know, turn down. Man, he'd turn up. It was a complete yep. rebellious was thing he? that took place. That the, and the fans loved it. I yep. mean, all our fans were just so into the band because we, we Billy was getting arrested every night because he'd say "fuck" on stage and the cops would be waiting <laughs> there for him to say it. I mean, it was just an incredible time. He crossed Amazing. a lot of times. And I he? came from Grantley band into that yeah and it's like that would have been a shock it's like holy shit yeah you know? more heavy rockers and of course the music was different because you're talking about an era where it was a poppy 
era sort of music. And then it, it, then the Aztecs and Chay and all those bands, they're all free-flowing, playing their own stuff, you know. Every night the, the song would be different because there'd be a different ending. I mean, we used to do Oop Oop Be Do and go for 18 minutes. Anything <laughs> could happen. We'd, yeah. we'd, you know, every was night. Was that in the different. 70s? Yeah, 71. That, 71 yep, yep. was when we really, you know, yep. the band became huge. Right. I mean, I, I joined the Aztecs thinking oh, I'll be here for six months and then I'll just move on somewhere else because it wasn't really my forte. Cause How long I come you from, come from like Grantley D and stuff, you know. But then when our first concert in April at Melbourne Town Hall where Daddy Cool was supporting us and I remember the line of people that went right down from the Melbourne Town Hall right down the bloody across Spring Street, oh sorry, Spencer Street, and I remember thinking to myself, shit, Matthews, you picked a good one here. Mm, I reckon. <laughs> so, and the band was just incredible. The band became huge, you know. Long, and, how, and I'm lucky to be... How long did you stay there for? I worked with Aztecs. Billy off and on for 35 years. Yeah, I'm the long, probably the longest serving Aztec because I, toured, I toured America with Billy and the whole thing, you know, yeah. everything. What were some of the more, more British you know, defining moments yeah. of your time defining in the Aztecs? Moments. Warwick would love this. Okay, the <laughs> defining moment, the Aztecs are at Armstrong's, uh, Armstrong Studios and we're recording an album called More Arts and Class. <laughs> and the Kiroff Ballet decide to come in, they want to see a Western recording studio so the Kiroff Ballet come into Armstrong's with two KGB guys on the night that the Aztecs are recording more ass than class. I mean, they couldn't pick the worst, more rebellious band in their life. So the head ballerina comes in, Billy walks up and says, you want vodka? Vodka? She says, no, brandy. I want brandy. <laughs> so at the end of the night, Warren Morgan and I are pirouetting across the studio with the head ballerina of the, of the Kiroff Ballet pissed out of our brains. The two KGB guys are stoned out of their brains on the fucking floor in the studio, mate. It was just, I wish I had a film crew. It yeah, was right. just incredible. But it was typical Aztecs. All this shit just happened all the time, which we, you know, when we did the big tour a long way to the top, we used to sit around and just laugh ourselves into tears about some of that shit that went on in the 70s with us. Yeah. It was incredible stuff, you know. Yeah, well, mate, to be uh, to be somewhere where you've got a couple of KGB agents stoned off their chops—that's <laughs> that's about as good as it gets. They mobile phones back well, then, well, so you can get, no, get, get away a bit more. Well, see, they had KGB guys to make sure they didn't defect to the West, you know. So yeah, right. All that stuff, you know. So, mm. yeah, mate, they were stoned out of their fucking brains. Well, I mean, Billy was really a cultural phenomenon, wasn't he? Billy was a, a completely rebellious uh, singer who. Uh, artist who, uh, like I said, if um, I remember playing Bombay Rock and the guy threatened to turn the lights off and mm -hmm. if we didn't turn down and Billy got in the mic and said, we're going to play louder, let them turn the fucking lights off and go and fuck themselves. <laughs> Good on them. Cop this, you know. And it, that's what ha they happened every night. They got been, arrested for inciting told. a riot once at a, at a pub because the cops came in and said, because this is the time of... Uh, 10 o'clock closing and stuff and people yeah. had to sit down with a meal. He couldn't stand in a venue. There were a lot of real weird rules yeah. back in those days. You know, yeah, right. People don't realise now. Um, but uh, he got in, he got arrested for inciting a riot. <laughs> but it was funny enough that the, the cop that arrested him was Vince Maloney's uncle, who was an original guitarist of the Aztecs. He yeah, right. to be with the Bee Gees. So he got, Billy got fined 50 bucks. So, I mean, yeah, this happened every Would night. have been a lot of money back in the day. Oh, 50 bucks. We we made a lot of money. It was it was it's a only lot. a pineapple. Yeah, it's a pineapple. <laughs> a bit back in there. A little yep. pineapple, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, obviously, the, um, the famous Sunbury Festival was a, 
fairly significant that, event in Australian music history. Is that great? Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Every year? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. We did it for four years. You know, I mean, we I, I, I saw Queen got booed off stage. A bit like Woodstock, sort day. of. No, at, at Sunbury. Queen, Queen played at Sunbury and got booed off stage. Yeah, because they were on all their satin outfits like Sherbet, you know. And yep. All the, all the crowd just wanted to hear rock and roll and boogie and boogie. We want Thorpey. We want Thorpey. So the, yeah, yeah, right. Queen got booed off, yeah. How's that? That's unbelievable. You know. No, huge. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. What uh, what were some of the other uh, things that um, went on at Sunbury? That uh, oh, look, Sunbury was it was an event that you'd never really put together again because you're talking about a three day event uh, in the no, no alcohol really unless people brought a stuff themselves. How many went there, mate? Thirty five thousand for the first Sunbury. They were there and they so were right, intense with their babies and their dogs in the dust and the heat <laughs> and the creek. Man, it was incredible. It yeah. was just oh. incredible. What you, was, you wouldn't get them to do it now. Did you guys stay down there? or No, we stayed at the Travelodge. We cheated. <laughs> <laughs> we, we cheated. We tra- at the Travelodge was at the airport, Melbourne yep. Airport. So we stayed there uh, and just went to the gig to do our, do our stuff, you know. But yeah, we, right. played, we played Saturday night and I think Sunday afternoon for memory, the first summary. And the first summary was the biggest one. That was the, yep. that was the best one. It was incredible because no one had experienced anything like that before. It was our own Woodstock. Yeah, really, you know. Well, the, the stories of Sunbury yeah. have sort of transcended through generations. Yeah, well, I mean, people look back at these things and think, oh, well, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, I've met, guys, mate, I've met guys who were barristers and lawyers and judges who were at Sunbury, and you mention Sunbury and their eyes light up. You know, it's incredible. The good stuff. old days. It's incredible stuff. Yeah. You know. What do you think your highlights been the last fifty years? My in, the music, in the music industry, what do you think? Oh, well, I, 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 I think uh, well. Look, I still I still play in bands, and I really love playing. And it's I mean, it's in it's obviously in my blood. To Keeps play. you young, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I love. Well, you know, I'm I'm 74. Go on, Warwick. I know I'm 58. That, that's Warwick, good. You don't look 74. Good effort. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> you look about 60. My, my whole thing about life is that, man, I want to go to my deathbed with a big smile on my face because of what I've done. Yep. You know. Because yep. I mean, I, I, I know. I, like I said, I've met a lot of people who are barristers, lawyers, have their nine to five, boring, bloody jobs in the traffic every morning for an hour and a half. Mate, they all would have loved to be. I know they stressed off the, They stressed off the heads. They would have loved it. You yeah. know. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, not long after Sunbury, the Aztecs played the Maya Music Bowl. Yeah. Free concert that had a record two hundred and fifty thousand people. Yeah. At the Maya Music Bowl. Yeah, it was. A, it was a free. And for anybody that. Surprised many of the MCG. For anybody that's been to a concert at the Maya Music Bowl, to think of 250,000, they must have been spilled out onto St Kilda Road. It was a free Moonbull long weekend. It's massive. So it was, it, was, it was free and it was advertised. And uh, I remember seeing a helicopter shot of the whole audience. They were like ants. They were all over the place. Because the Maya Music Bowl only seats about 7,000. So they're, you know, they're, all o- they're all over. That was the atmosphere, sort of, unreal. Yeah. Yes? Yeah, incredible. Incredible stuff, you know. So a couple of good drum rolls, get them going early. Well, I don't know about that, Warwick, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All we need to do is get Billy out there and start Bebopaloo and that gets them going. Yeah, yeah that'll do the job. Um, beyond the, the days of the Aztecs, and I know we've, there's hundreds more stories that we could break into about that and perhaps we can uh, revisit some more stories about your days with the Aztecs down the track. Well, it was a 35-year experience. And, and yeah. part no, of you, can't was, you can't cover that. You can't Part of it was a six-month tour across America with Lee Sklar, the bass player. I mean, a world 
incredible famous bass player who's played on more than 2,000 albums. I mean, his, his house is just full of gold records. It's ridiculous. Yeah, right. He's played on, you know, James Taylor albums, Crosby, Stills and Nash albums. So it, it just goes on forever and ever. That would have been a good experience too. Incredible. He, he was here with Toto and he was here with Phil Collins ah. playing bass. That's some yeah, pr- great pr- bass pretty uh, high-end... Oh, shit, yeah. But, I mean, see, it's a different level over there. That would have been great, yeah. Yeah, different level, you know. Yeah. Beyond the Aztecs, you spent some time, uh, I think, uh, 79 to 81 playing in Mondo Rock? Yes, I joined um, I joined Mondo Rock when it was um, a guitar band and they had an album called Primal Park and it was Peter Laffey and Randy Bullpen and Simon Gillies and Ross and myself. And then I got called to America to, to tour with Billy, so I had to leave Mondo Rock. So um, when I was in the studio in America, Ross rang me and said, oh, I've, I've <coughs> disbanded the band and I put a new Mondo Rock together. So I came back and rejoined and that was the current band of uh, Eric McCusker and uh, James Black and well, Paul Christie well, Ross and myself. Were they good Yeah. They, 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 they were, work with? Look, uh, you know, look, honestly... Uh, and I'm sorry, Ross, if you're listening. <laughs> I think for me, musically, the best time I had was uh, Richard Clapton. Yeah, right. I just love Richard's music and Richard's such, guitar, such isn't a he? yeah, such a great guy too. We, I mean, we we got along like a house on fire. Great songwriter. Great songwriter, yeah. and, and we you know we did all those great songs, "Girl on the Avenue," and you that, know, that's that was Captain one of my favorite Dancer favorites and, as a kid. Yeah. You know, I'm an island, and all. Yeah, that he was a good stuff. guy. I actually worked on CBM with him. Yeah, on a radio, on a radio segment. Fantastic artist. Great, great, great songwriter. Yeah. yeah, fantastic songwriter. Yeah. One of Australia's best, actually. I think One of yeah. Australia's it's best. Guy, didn't he? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. You also spent some time working with uh, Normie Rowe and the Marty Rose Band. Um, well, I still, I still work with Normie. I still do gigs uh, with Normie. I mean, we haven't done lots of gigs because of the COVID thing, of course, but we do have three gigs coming up uh, at the end of January. Uh, yeah, right. Two at the Arco Bar in Moorabbin on the... How's Normie going? Normie's great. Has he, his health all right? Yeah, he's very good. How, would he, how old would he be now, 70? <coughs> Normie's older than me. So he's really? sev- he's 75 in February. Right. And he's still, uh, he's still getting out there. Yeah, he still get, still can sing. Uh, I mean, the two singers that, for me, are still just incredible is Colleen Hewitt and, and Normie. Yeah, right. I mean, they command audiences. You know, they go yeah. on stage... And the audience is there. They just captured the audience. It's yeah. remember, he had, remember he had a bit of a punch-up on today's show? Yes, he did. Normie? Ron Casey. <laughs> Ron Casey. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a funny one. Yeah, but Normie's still here and Ron's not. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There, there you go. Yeah. 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 No, Normie's, Normie's great, a lovely guy. Um, the Normie, the Normie Row, uh, we, we call ourselves the old boys, not the playboys, but anyway. Um, the band is a, it's, it's a, it's a family. Yeah. A bit like the Aztecs, it was a family. I, I only really worked out... Recently, I think may, maybe one of the reasons was that the with the Aztecs, we were all only children. We didn't, none of us had brothers and sisters, so maybe there was yeah, some right. sort of pact, pact going on here, you know, between so us all. We didn't realise at the time. Found, found your family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and Marty Rose Band, that's a family. That That's uh, a band. I played guitar with Normie, actually. Yep. Um, did you know that, Gavin? <laughs> oh, he doesn't care. <laughs> Sorry, I glazed over when they mentioned your name at the start. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you, once you get me started, it's hard to It's finish. good to have facetious friends, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Normie Rose Guitar, and uh, I play drums with Marty Rose Band, which features uh, David Briggs in it from uh, Little River Band, you know. Yeah, right. Yep. And uh, Pip Joyce, who plays with uh, Glenn Shorrick, and Joe Imbrol, who played with Ian Moss and Brian Cadd. So, yeah, right. Yeah. That's a who's who. 
Sort of, yeah, in a way. Well, I mean, now that we've uh, woken Gavin up... Oh, Gavin's awake. <laughs> uh, somebody got a tissue for the glaze in his eyes. <laughs> uh, Are you serious? You're going to follow that with, with me now? <laughs> uh, it's a relaxed conversation. Okay. You up for it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Gavin and I, we, we met... When did we actually... When did we meet? What year would that have been? 97, 98. Yeah, right. I, rem- I remember... Oh, hang on a sec. We were in Nunawadding. Yeah, you were in Nunawadding? Yeah, we moved there in 98. So it would have been... Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, right. right. Well, yeah, it was well, somewhere t- uh, before the turn of the century. It was, it was. Gil, I, I answered a an advertisement for um, a singer for a for a band that turned out to be Gavin. Which band was that? Uh, it never got off the ground, apparently, Gil. Yeah. There was a valid reason for it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. God, God, yeah. God. So, basically, I, I, I get a list of songs. We have a chat on the phone. I get sent a list of songs. Here, learn these. I think back in those days it was, um, you know, you get the tape. So, learn the tape. Yes. So, cover band. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 it was... <laughs> we can still hear the whispering, by the way. <laughs> in, in the, it's like I love when people whisper yeah, near a microphone. You can still hear Gavin, by the way. Yeah, I just, I just whispered on a microphone if you haven't noticed. <laughs> it all, all adds to the character of the show. <laughs> okay, don't do that. And um, I, I answered the ad for, I think it might have been like a 60s, 70s style band. And uh, so I learned three or four songs. And I go around to this house in Springvale Road, Nutter Wadding, to have a, a jam with the guys. It was Gavin. It was Vic. Vic Victor Marco. Yep. Um, what was the... Uh, what the was up- the drummer's name? Do you remember? Was he the guy that had the accent, by the yeah. way? Yeah. You don't remember his name? No. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Well, anyway, I mean, he ended up um, being, the, being the reason, apparently, the band didn't go anywhere. But uh, I, I remember I was, I was singing away with him, Gil, and... My my harmony wasn't right where these guys had all worked together. They had their harmonies down pat. I'm just in for the first Are time. We doing horse with no name or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fucking. Good I'm song, singing along, song. and mid song, Gav's got his bass and like just looks at me and goes mm, 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 on the bass note where it's like that's where the fucking harmony is meant to be, pal. I'm like fucking hell. I, I can't can't wait to come back and play with these guys. These are fucking great. Mate, I've done gigs with him where <laughs> playing guitar where he'd be yelling out the wrong chords just to fuck me up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh. but I, I end up. Uh, he ends up. I followed it up to see what was going on. He's like, "Oh yeah, mate. Yeah, the band's not going ahead. The um, the drummer had an accident on a work site and fell off a fucking building." And I'm like, "Whatever, all right." And anyway, as it turns out, Gav, it was true, it, and it took us <laughs> what five years to convince him of that. He did. He fell down a shaft. Yeah, um, in a high rise. In a high rise. Sounds like Molly Meldrum. Yeah, yeah, but he fell right remember? down a shaft and ended up in hospital and everything. Had, and a, pen, had a pen in his pocket too, didn't he? Had a pen in his pocket and he had a perfect tattoo on his forehead from, <laughs> from the pen yep. digging into his forehead and they couldn't get rid of it. Yeah, so, so apparently walking through a ventilation duct in a high-rise building under construction in the yeah. dark yep. and, uh, and walked, straight bef- o- walked straight over a dropper. And that was fell. before they had all the work safe stuff yeah. and everything. Yeah. And fell a number of stories, right? Yeah, probably about 
10, 10 floors. Yeah, just fucking, yeah. He survived. <laughs> and he survived, yeah. <laughs> and uh, about a year later, I did a gig with him playing drums again. <laughs> he made a comeback. But not you. <laughs> but not me. <laughs> he brought in a couple of steel rods in the old, in the old legs, did he? A couple of steel rods. We, yeah, but we found another singer that knew how to harmonise. Oh, so. fuck. Give it a break. I mean, it's probably a fair, probably a fair point. Uh, I'm playing with you. No, no, I know, and I love it when you do. So, uh, oh. I'm, yeah, all right, you took you a bit there. Yeah, so, I, got, I got brain damage, remember? That's true. Um, yeah, Gavin and I end up um, connecting a, a little bit down the track when we were both working at the Growling Dog Bar, running um, running all the bands there, and that was, a, that was a, a great little period there, wasn't it, Gav? It was. It was fantastic, and that's where you organised uh, for Lob to do the... Um Long way to the top interviews and things too, yep. wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Um, obviously, just to just to jump on that before we move forward with that, you played in a number of different iterations of Lobby Lloyd's bands. Yeah. So the earliest was around about seventy eight, seventy nine. Was that right? Seventy nine, wasn't it, Gil? Yeah. Yeah. Be seventy nine. Yeah. Sudden Electric with somebody on drums here. <laughs> oh. um, so was that a three piece? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It tried to be a four-piece. Remember, Les came along. Yeah, one, we, one. we did have a, We did. We did an album, and we had. I think, if memory, Angry was on. Did her vocals? Yeah, on but when when tracks? we were first setting and it Anderson. up, we, Les yeah. Les Les, Anderson, Les yeah. Gilbert was it? Yeah, yeah. he came yeah. along, yeah, and Gilbert. I actually recorded it on, on a recorder, and uh, all we got was ding, 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 <laughs> ding through the whole thing, and this guy, I. Idolised him almost because of the Wild Cherries, because yes. he was the Hammond player on that the Wild Cherries. That was one of Cherries. Lobby's earlier bands, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. From and Brisbane, so we we got him in, and we thought, oh, I thought fantastic, it was going to be like Deep Purple, with the Hammond and yep. us and and dragging Gill along behind me. So and and it just yeah, right. and all I got was <laughs> ding 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 on the keyboard. Yeah. Hey. What was your favourite venue? Favorite venue, Station Hotel. Like station Hotel. We was, did the Station Hotel. It was, that was remember the Station what, Hotel in Paran. Paran? Paran. The three of us. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right on the railway line yeah. of Paran. Yeah, yeah think, we did our. Yeah, it's still there. We did. It was our last gig, wasn't it? Or second last gig, or something like that. And the cops were called because the place. Seriously, they couldn't get cars up the street. The, the probably couldn't even close the boom gates or anything. It was packed. Yeah. And the cops had to be called to direct traffic and everything and move oh. people on. And this place normally holds like 50 people and there was like 600 people out there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The Station Hotel was a great venue. I remember oh, it was fantastic. Do they still have bands there? No, no. I don't think so. No? No. And well, they used to have half a locomotive stuck into the yeah, hang, hang that's gone too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not there anymore. No, but my, my yeah, favourite venue up, probably up, overall, Warwick, was um, probably Bombay. Oh, yep. Yep. And he did that so many times up Phoenix Street or wherever it was. Yep. Um, Brunswick. Brunswick. Good venue. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that with, with Hush. I did it with um, Lob. Yep. Did, we, did you do it with us? At, yeah. I yeah. Did, Bombay? I, yeah. 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 I'd, I'd done Bombay with uh, the Aztecs and Mondo Rock and with Lobby and Kevin. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mate, when, what year did you join Hush, Gav? I think, I think about seventy-seven. And how long were you in that band? One year. Big band. Uh, yeah, it was. Good. It was great. Um, Rick Lum had left. He was the original bass player. Yep. Um, 
Les Gock was still in it for about a month after I joined. They're pretty heavy, Hush, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it was good, good band. Um, but management, um, as always, it up. just like like you, you hear stories about yeah. every band, like Grand Funk and um, Argent, and any band um, from that era, um, just got totally yeah, taken start, to the cleaners by by management. That's how the Beatles, yeah, stop it, yeah, because of management. But um, but management killed that, and uh, the last second last thing I did was um, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and the Drifters at Festival Hall. Really? Yeah. What a show! Yeah, it was fantastic. Chuck Berry was a cunt. Um, but <laughs> Bo, by my honesty, but, <laughs> but I work with a few cunt. Happy yeah. birthday, cunties! <laughs> yeah. But Bo, Bo Diddley and the Drifters were nice guys and yeah. everything. But. Um, I'll just give a little little story, a little rock and roll story. You'll appreciate it. Beth will appreciate it because she knows I'm an idiot. But um, <laughs> the Drifters were coming out to do um, Proud Mary, but a fast, like, Tina Turnery type Proud yep. Mary. And they said, look, you've got to start and start the music and lead it in and then we'll come out and we'll do our hi, how are you, and all that, and then we'll start doing the song. Well, this intro went for probably 17 minutes. <laughs> and I'm going... 17 minutes. That's like some Pink Floyd By the time <laughs> that finished, I swear to you, I could not move my hand. And these bastards, I'm thinking, we fucking start the song? And this went on. But, but uh, then Chuck Berry uh, wouldn't get a, give me a photo, wouldn't give me his autograph. And he was just, just an absolute arsehole. Really? I've, um, I've, heard, I've heard that. Bo Diddley kept Actually, turning around to Chuck, me. We've got Chuck on the phone now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Bo Diddley just kept turning around going, hey, lay it back a bit, man. <laughs> I was playing too heavy for him. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, every song is honk, honk, donk, gadonk, donk, honk, donk, gadonk, gadonk, donk. Yep, that's it. He wants you to lay, lay back on All he needs. All he yep. needs. Remember a guy yep. called Bo Jenkins? Yeah. He was my oh. old neighbour in Queensland. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah he's, he's got a few shows yeah. at the, he was American, um, American the dog. dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. Pretty good music. Yeah. yeah. He's my neighbour in Kangra. Oh, he's, really? He's, he's down yeah. here now. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's he's a, a ripper. He's Bo Jenkins. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And the last venture with um, Hush was Six Nights in Tassie. Yeah, right. And we did six shows in Tassie and got back and management gave me $35. How do you fucking divide that by six, actually? Well, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we give you $6 for the first five shows and yeah. five for the last one. Yeah. So I just said, no, fuck you, and just left. Well, you would think that would be it. But no, not with um, the way things work with management. They sued me for not giving them enough time to get a replacement for the, for the upcoming shows. They wanted their $35 back. Yeah. Well, they, they did because they got something like $235 out of me for, oh, for the, having to provide players. Jeez. So that was the end of my hush. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah Which well, was a shame because it was actually really good. And the funny thing is Keith and I, Keith used to stay with me. He's from Sydney, of course. But he used to live with me in my place in Kew whenever we were touring or he was in Melbourne. And we got on like a house on fire and even stole my girlfriend at the time. So we were really good mates. Um, but but then he just turned into an absolute arsehole. Yeah, right. Um, with management, yep. you know, on the side of management. So I, I didn't sort of shed too many tears when I found out he's gone a bit 
away with the fairies. So uh, I'm not a vindictive person at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> there is some mega maniacs in the. Oh yeah, in the field though. Yeah, yeah in the, like like Aussie rules, professional. But some the problem is too. Look, few like of those around here, I've met them all. Yeah, but like like you were saying before with with Gil and and Warwick. Um, Sometimes all you want to do is just do what you know, do what you do. Yeah, I don't care about. I didn't probably didn't really care about the money and stuff so much. If there was um, they want to respect and they want to reinvent the wheel and make it. Uh, hey, they want to try and reinvent the wheel, and make it easy things hard. Don't they? Yeah, yeah. Pump table. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they didn't stop me. I then just went, kept joining bands and playing around the country in show bands and things like that. One of which. In the uh, early 70s. Am I talking too much, Gil? No, no. <laughs> no we yeah. like it. You'll love these stories. It gives me um, a rest. We like, was we a love, band we like called... if they're true. They, they, hey, I don't lie. Ask Beth. Um, um, one of them was a band called Bender, and we went to on the Ivan Damon circuit yeah. to uh, Perth because apparently back then, before you were allowed to conquer probably Melbourne, Sydney, whatever... You had to go off Broadway and hone your craft and become a good band elsewhere. So they'd send you out, and we went to Perth, and uh, we did uh, six weeks at the Sheraton Down Under Disco, <laughs> and then we got a call to come and please come and play at Beethoven's, which was the pinnacle. I remember that Beethoven's, yeah. Um, and the band we were replacing, believe it or not, was a band called ACDC. Yeah, right. With uh, Dave Evans, yeah, out front, um, because the, the the club just said they're they're, they're fucking awful, and, but they weren't. They were just ACDC, but they wanted uh, a white suit disco band or something, which we weren't. But we did uh, top forty covers and things, so we went there and played there and just toured there. But uh, it's always a good story to tell them that uh, ACDC got sacked for us. So <laughs> it's always. How's that? Yeah, you took the gig well, off. Well, ACDC them. used to support the Aztecs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For starters. Yep. That's good. The, yeah. Back in the back in the early days when they were around. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, great days though, weren't they? Pub rock was just sensational back then. You walk into it was any a massive, pub. Massive period back then. Oh, you walk into any pub Much and there's just full of these big ugly black boxes, and you just knew you were in for a ride. It was fantastic, like birdies and stuff like that. Yep. <coughs> It was just great. You'd go to all these gigs and just all these huge, big black boxes, even like Bombay here. And down on the foreshore, what was it? Um, it became Bananas. We, we did Bananas. I'm not sure that's politically that correct. Black boxes. Kingston Rock. That yeah. became Bananas, didn't it? We yeah. did that. Yeah, Remember we had the T-shirts? Yeah, yeah Billy headbutted uh, Nick Cave at Bananas one night. Did he really? Yeah. Oh. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was um, when Nick Cave was in the birthday party uh, and Rose Tattoo was supporting the birthday. So it was, it was Aztecs, top of the bill, then Rose Tattoo and then birthday party. And Nick was running around, you know, like some fucking <coughs> idiot and Billy told him to calm down. He said, oh, who do you think you are? So Billy went and headbutted him, knocked him out. It's fantastic. I loved it. He was a nuggety little oh, bugger too, wasn't he, Thorpey? He'd jump in the audience if there was a fight. He'd be into it. Yeah, right. I remember uh, we um, we had Lobby playing at the the B four bar down at the York on Lilydale Gav. Oh, that's right. With in, uh, in, in and you, you, you bastards were in the other room, and then uh, yeah. Thorpey was in the main room. Yeah, 
and we teed it up so Lobby was going on just as Thorpey was finishing and then Thorpey came across. That's right. Well, yeah. there was a mate, there were people in the room that night that were just it was like their Christmases had come at once to see Billy Thorpe had and a, Lobby had, Lloyd. He had a good rough voice, didn't he? Yeah, you know, look, honestly, voice. It, I, I'm sort of amazed that when when we, back in the 70s when we were all doing this, we were just a, another band, you know. We, I mean, okay, we were popular, the crowds were great, the gigs were great, but years later you become this sort of, I don't know, iconic person, which is not really the way you started out. You know, yeah. you're, you're only playing music and you don't expect to be anything other than just a musician, but... You know, now I meet people and, you know, it's oh, Billy thought me Aztecs, fuck, you know. Yeah. Yeah, big, uh, big. It, it's a big deal now. It's a much yeah. bigger deal than, than what it was back then. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. I can't, you know, it's hard to get used to. Anyway. It's um, sorry, it's sorry, certainly sorry, a, a fairly, um, fairly significant moment in Australian music history. Uh, look, it was an it was an era where uh, music was a big thing. You've got to remember that back in the seventies, there were gigs everywhere. I mean, bands were playing three and four and five times a or week. Or in Australia, yeah. I mean, I can remember playing four gigs in one day with the Aztecs. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. starting at a university afternoon <coughs> gig and finishing up at the exhibition building for some corporate bloody ball or something. Yep. Um, there was gigs everywhere. Bands yep. could go and play all the time. But now it's completely changed. Completely yeah. Well, a lot of the uh, sort of inner city discos all had lunchtime sessions. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, just jumping back um, at the, the Growling Dog Bar. When, oh, you're back to me? No. <laughs> when, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, when shouldn't have given me this drink. Lobby got called up to do the uh, long, early long, long way, way to, to the, the top, top tour. So, yeah. <laughs> And then um, yeah, the, the ABC came down to the Growling Dog Bar in Ringwood and did, and some, recorded did some footage yeah. of him there. And that was good of you to do that too. Yeah, it was. It was, mate. <laughs> okay? Dude, cheers oh. for Tony. Cheers. It's hard to be humble, isn't it? It's fucking hard to be humble. <laughs> so I was yes, going to say, is that a lemonade with two blocks of ice, mate? No. <laughs> <laughs> hey? Do you remember it, the it, night? It I don't know who it was, but somebody. Uh, Gave me a lemonade with two blocks of ice, ice, two blocks of ice, and a crushed Viagra. <laughs> do, do you remember that? No, no. Oh. I bet you a Woody. Oh, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. Had a couple last week, and I actually L- popped L- out of the toilet. Uh, oh, about one thirty a.m. I couldn't get rid of the fat. <laughs> I, I really couldn't. I know, fucking hit from rolling out of bed. Yeah. I had a fucking headache for a day and a half too, but fucking hell, I performed. Oh, it's like a handbrake. Best thirty nine seconds. <laughs> best best, best thirty nine seconds of my life. It was probably probably Graham and Wayne or somebody like that, you know. Jesus. Yeah, I don't know, mate. I don't know whether they would have given anything away for free, though. <laughs> they probably thought it was somebody else's. That's what you want—the sound guy with a fucking rock solid one. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and it lasted forever too. <laughs> Did it? Ah, very good. You sure, yeah. it was a Viagra. Yeah. Well, we by the end of the night, we'll fucking hang the tea towel off it. <laughs> I chucked mine down the toilet, but I couldn't get the fucking lid down. Oh, I did a commercial for a company in Adelaide called Stiff Dick. <laughs> Same principle, different name. Yeah. <laughs> classic, eh? Fucking, there's some good branding, isn't it? <laughs> what does it do? I know. Fucking Stiff Dick. I was stiff, but fuck, I had a fucking headache. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, back to the growling dog. What are we up to? No, I was just going to yeah, say, imagine going to the chemist and going, can I have a pack of sniff dicks, thanks? Yeah. 
Oh, uh, fuck so, Good branding. Yeah, the um, the, the growling dog bar, Lob- Lobby shot his promo for the long way to the top. And then you did uh, around about 16, 18 shows. What was it with the... Um, 19. 19. So, <coughs> How was that, right? It was, it was 19 because the last one they did, they added an extra one free at the end and it was 19. Ha, 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 ha. Truly, I swear to you, it broke all records too. Great, incredible tour. Yeah. Yeah, six yeah. Rod Laver arenas. Yeah, incredible tour. Yeah. How was that? Australian yeah. acts. Yeah. So a, a part of the reason for obviously trying to get both of you guys on here tonight was to, to try and bring a little bit of awareness to some of our listeners as to obviously Billy Thorpe, but then to also bring Lobby into the conversation because... Mm. You know, Lobby was regarded and still is regarded by a lot of people as a fairly um, key person in the the changing sound of Australian rock music. Of that era. Oh, for sure. The 70s. We've got to remember that Lobby and Billy grew up together in yep. Brisbane, yep. for starters. And, you know, Billy would say that Lobby taught him a lot of how to play guitar as yep. well. And Lobby was part of the Aztecs yep. as well. Right. You know? So, I mean... The album Hoax Is Over features Lobby, Warren Morgan, Paul Wheeler and Billy Thorpe. You know? Yep. We should play one of Lobby's songs. Yep. We're going to put some put some samples and some links up to Lobby's stuff that's on Spotify. I spent great. all day today with Lobby's tunes playing yeah. playing around the house while I was... Yeah, and Ball Power's a real, you know, cult sort of album, yep. you yep. know. And the second album, which I produced and engineered, <coughs> called uh, me. Heavy Metal Kid... <laughs> Because you know we're all, we're, they all, mate, they all lived in the same house yep, yep. in Brighton. Really? Yeah, they lived yep. in the same house, all yep. of them. Uh, Lobby, Paul, uh, Bruce Howard, who had replaced Warren Morgan, yep. and Billy in Well Street, Brighton. They all yep. lived in the one house. You know. Well, thank thanks to, to Gavin. You know, I, I was fortunate oh. enough to uh, do a couple of shows with Lobby as that when. Um, it was after the long way to the top tour had finished. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, you don't remember? No, no, I made up a brain damage. I told you that. Well, the, the York and Lillard I was in at one, and I also did some songs with them at the corner. Oh, remember? okay. That would have been great, Tony. Well, it was it was really good just to get up, got up and do. Oh yeah, but Tony Tony's actually really good out front. He just just doesn't know it. I've heard him. Really I've, I've heard him at three in the morning. We get you get shit faced. Yeah. You guys just turn the stereo off, Warwick. I said, what for? <laughs> and it was quite good, but uh, Lob Lob's always, was always just good. fantastic. I mean, oh, I can't speak highly enough of him. You yeah. know, he's just as a player, um, not inventor, innovative sort of person. Um, he was really quite prog rock, really, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, he was. Uh, well, he's like like most Australian music from the seventies, and you got to remember in the seventies all the bands all went home and listened to overseas artists, because the attitude was Australian music shit house. We all sound shit house, so let's go home and listen to Doors, really? Elton John, Pink Floyd, King Crimson, Emma's Lake and Palmer, whatever you know. But then fifty years later, we listen to th- bands like. Matter Lake and Spectrum and Lobby, Aztecs. Mate, it was unique music. It sounds like nobody else. Yeah. And a lot of it is fantastic. Yeah. So uh, the answer I, I is was, was the answer of, is yes then? Yeah, the answer is uh, yes, okay. yes. 
I mean, I was one of those who would go home and listen to... Can't have to tell you, you guys have been friends for fucking 50 no, years. No, I'd go you? home and listen to MS Lake and Palmer. So you give more shit than I give Tony. Why can't I get sounds like that in the studio? You know, yeah. how, how come yeah. I can't get that sort of stuff? Because I was, I was the engineer producer of the Aztecs and... Um, Years later, you listen to it and you think, man, Metal Lake and Spectrum were just incredible bands. Yeah, the yeah. songs are fantastic. The band's unique. Anyone that's unique, I, I, I take my hat off to, it, yeah. to them, you know, yeah. basically. And, Lo- and Lobby and Gavin and I, you know, we, we did an album and um, uh, Lobby was a great, unique guitarist. Live with dubs. Yeah, yeah. live with dubs, yeah. It was actually really good. Yeah, I, I, listened, I listened to it today. Hmm. Oh, did you? It's a great album. Yeah, yeah. we had a Boom Crash Opera here too. Oh, good. Time. That's the problem. It's be, it was before. Was its it? Time. Yeah. yeah, everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. When yeah. it first came out, everybody said, "What's this shit?" Yeah. And now you read about it, and they say, "Oh, it's one of the most it's different, yeah. uh, iconic classic albums of all time, and all this sort of thing." Fuck, could have used that back then and made a few <laughs> bucks out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, when. Um, when Lobby got sick, Gab, he was living with you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Betty was and Beth, uh, his yep. keeper Yep. Uh, while I went to, to work every day. And What did he have? A cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah, lung. Beth well, was saying see, before Lobby, that when, Lobby, she, when she was working from home and got to spend a lot of time with Lobby while he was there. Lobby yeah. smoked camels mm. continuously. Yeah. And they're Strong. Like the strongest yeah. you, can, you can have, you know. Yeah. And, and his, if you ever look at a photo of a lobby, he's got this, he's got his cigarette stuck yeah. in there. His trademark was always a cigarette. Bill like Dave Bowie, he was a chance smoker too. And apparently, Dave Bowie's Do you remember young. that long way to the top two of the eighteen shows? Nineteen. 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 Yeah, I was just trying to I was trying to be nice to you. Eighteen, mate. I'm telling you. Um, brain damage. Did you only get paid for eighteen shows? I know. You might have. Because of the trademark and. Lob was always considered the godfather of Australian rock, or all the any platitudes you want to give him, anything. Um, no matter where we went, in any arena, Lob was allowed to smoke. Yeah, right. Nobody else was allowed to smoke in the building. Full stop. Yep. But I remember one stage uh, we were backstage waiting to go on on the circular stage, and uh, Lob lit up a cigarette, and somebody went over and s- sort of spoke to somebody about it, and they said. Yeah, it's Lobby. Yeah. Big name. That was it's like lobby. a... Lobby. I did a commercial with Charlie Sheen two years ago and they let him smoke it. And they said, you know, in the Atlantic restaurant, he was the only one. Yeah. I said, fucking, someone's getting bent the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, lo- Long Way to the Top was an incredible experience, yeah. I have to say. I yeah. mean, from the point of I'd be in a bar and I'd see uh, Glenn Sharrick and Brian Cadd drink themselves stupid to they pass out on the floor and then the roadies would carry them back to their rooms. I mean, it was just the drinking fest and the swearing fest was it? in bars all around this country that I've ever come across in my life. And if you and I went to a, the Hilton now and you were down there and said, hey, Warwick, you want a fucking scotch and coke, cunt? They'd throw us out. <laughs> no, no. But we got away with Polit- everything. You'd, you'd, be, you'd with be surprised at what Warwick Cappett can get away, get away with. Over there. Billy would be down there saying, hey, you want a fucking scotch and coke, rats? I pushed a little bit. Yeah, but I know. No one said a boo. No one said a boo. It was incredible. Yeah. It was just incredible. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think um, it would be great at some point, you know, maybe uh, next year to have another catch up and, and discuss. Yeah, I think, I think we need part two with the boys. Had a big, yeah, it'd be long good. Career. Be good to do it at two Fantastic. separate nights, yeah. though. <laughs> 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 you probably need a couple of hours, like myself. There's a lot, a lot to talk about. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like you to hear my story. <laughs> we'll give it ten minutes next time. You all right? Yeah, it's um, you know, nothing like cutting a short story long. <laughs> but um, but uh, <laughs> thanks for coming in, guys. Fantastic, appreciate it. I, I I'd uh, I'd like Look, to say thank you to two of the best guys who've been the backbone to some of the great artists in Australian history. Um, both are uh, genuinely talented and generous to know when with their time for coming in tonight. Uh, hopefully we can revisit this discussion again another time on the show as there are years of stories to tell and, and these are stories that need to be shared. because the Next time they play, we should go and have a look at the gig. We absolutely we should. Camel can pop down and give a bit of a tea with uh, Cheerio. So we're going we're gonna to basically post links to any of your upcoming yeah. shows that you've got coming up, Gil. Yep. Uh, Jackson's in Turek, which I'm sure Warwick knows about Jackson's. That'd be good fun. It's not far from here. I'll be able to pop down there. On the 12th, the 12th <laughs> of January. Uh, sorry, the 12th of December. I'm getting my months mixed up. That's like in a week. That's, that's, that's not far that's away, mate. Week. It's next week. I'm still doing my fucking makeup. That's yeah. next week. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. You want, you want some of mine? I'm I'll like, lend you some if you like. I'm going okay. to show those teeth off. <laughs> I don't think he needs Grecian yeah. 2000, though, Gil. No, no, no. I like, uh, your, I like your teeth. The only things you can see—they're very bright. Yeah. That's all I can see in this dark room is teeth. Two, two things you can see I in a nightclub: tongue stains and Warwick's yeah. teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two centenarian gold kickers. Yeah. <laughs> but look, any of your upcoming stuff, Gil, we're gonna we're gonna sure. pop links to on all of our socials. Sure. Um, we'll come down to boy. Yeah, be great. To, links yeah. to the your, your production business, Aztec Records, yep. AztecRecords.com.au. Yep. Um, you know, looking forward to. Continuing this discussion in 2022, uh, two incredible gentlemen who've been very generous with their time. Let's give a big uh, T-Wiz thank you to Gavin Carroll. Thank, thank you so much, gentlemen. Great Christmas show. Thanks, Thanks for coming in, guys. Thanks, Cass. Great show. Fantastic. You're welcome, Uncle. I'm going to be happy till I get to the cunty page. <laughs> Leaving that in. <laughs>